the Anesthesia Podcast. Welcome to this month's Anesthesia Journal Podcast. We're delighted today to be joined by Dr. Ben Gibson, who's an Associate Editor of Anesthesia. Welcome, Ben. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, thanks, Mike. Excellent. And you're an Associate Editor with Anesthesia. How did you get involved with the journal? I was reviewing uh, a fair number of papers for anaesthesia and I'd previously done a fellowship at Papworth Hospital and so I knew Andy Klein who was the then editor. <clears throat> I said you know is there, is there a way I could sort of be a bit more formally involved uh, and it just happened to be when the associate editors sort of uh, applications were up so I um, I filled in the application form and that, that's how I wound up doing it. <laughs> and you've also written for the journal as well I remember one particular paper a few years ago now about statistics about 50% of anaesthetists being better than average, is that right? Uh, well, I, th- I think the title was 50% of anaesthetists are worse than average at statistics. <laughs> but, um, so I I'd sort of, as part of that, I wrote some opinion pieces because um, I'm a sort of academic and I work with trials units and stuff. And um, I, one of the things I was keen to do was get anaesthetists to actually really understand what they're reading and what the what the numbers re- mean um, and it was it was clear to me that people didn't really twig from a sort of on a, on a sort of gross scale um, what the numbers really mean and why you need a big trial and um, you know how you pick the outcomes and what outcomes are important and what's the difference between efficacy and effectiveness and all of this stuff and so so that's sort of why I wrote that as a slightly tongue-in-cheek poking article. No, it was very popular I remember at the time I remember yeah tweeting that paper and it being very well received. This month, a lot of the papers are, are review articles and there's a reason for that. Um, and there's not much statistics to really go through in those papers, but nonetheless, they're excellent articles and they form the basis of a special collection in sustainable anaesthesia. And so we've managed to publish all these papers together that we've been quietly working on uh, over the last year. And you've picked three for us from the issue. The first paper is an editorial and we've got quite a few editorials in the issue. We were able to sort of exercise editorials in in that respect because the science in this area isn't complete and there's quite a lot of areas for discussion and there's a lot of opinion welcome as well um, and different way of interpreting things as we've seen with several of the reviews which use similar numbers but actually come to very different conclusions. But the first is a really important editorial by uh, Canal and Fang, and it lists various misconceptions about sustainable anaesthesia. Uh, so why did you find this particular editorial interesting? Because it was, so I, so I was a bit surprised, when, <laughs> but I was a bit shocked when, because um, clearly we'd, we'd arranged to do this podcast um, several months ago. <laughs> and so I was a bit sort of shocked when, uh, you know, because clearly I, I'm sort of used to reading trials and uh, I thought it would be going through this. And I... When this came up, I knew absolutely nothing about uh, sustainable anaesthesia, climate change or anything like that. And the, the numbers didn't really mean anything to me. So, in fact, on Saturday night, I had to get my um, my friend who was sort of, who's just left being head of sustainability at a large teaching hospital to um, to talk me through everything. And, you know, how much of this was reasonable and and what was the what was important, you know, about climate change, anaesthesia and sustainability. And this article, this editorial by Canal and Fang seemed to be what seemed to align with what his take on it. Generally, the, the, the perception seems to be that, you know, just focusing on anaesthetic gases, you know, as sort of climate change and global warming was not the only 
thing and that actually what you needed if you wanted to be sustainable you needed a root and branch approach to it and they, this editorial brought all of those things out so it's you know it's about reusing recycling um you know using less and and that's really what this editorial brought out to me is that it, you know we we all sort of handering over you know anesthetic gases but the, uh, the the important thing generally is just to use less of everything and that means sort of reusables I, I look at the end of the sort of you know I'm a cardiac anesthetist and I look at the end of the first case in the morning at the bin and there's so much stuff yeah. and it just gets chucked in the bin absolutely um, yeah, and there, there was all sorts of other things in there about, you know, recycling that we, you know, we can improve recycling a lot. And the people don't really know what can be recycled and what can't be recycled. And, you know, even if you put a clean latex glove in a recycling bin, that pretty much then goes to that goes for incineration. So the sort of approaches to recycling are different. Uh, we, you know, unless you know it absolutely needs to be recycled, it can be recycled. You probably shouldn't put it in the recycling bin. Um, and so that that was sort of part of his view is that this whole root and branch thing, rather than just focusing on one thing, we just needed to use use less of stuff and uh, recycle and reuse what we could. Yeah, and uh, that's sort of a nod to the direction in which this research is taken, because I think we've heard a lot yeah. over the last 10 years about volatile anaesthetic agents. And some of those old controversies have, have been reopened a little bit by some of the articles in the review despite the fact that some of the other articles suggest that we should be thinking about this a bit differently now to start things off where do you actually stand on the whole debate at the moment about volatile anesthetics in the environment so it, like i said i i don't really have a view on it because i don't know I, I literally don't know anything about it i had to i had to get um uh matt to talk me through what sort of global warming potentials were which again featured in one of the other review articles that we'll talk about later and um, and what was really important so i i don't have a particular viewpoint because i'm not an expert on it but the the perception from people that i've spoken to is that whatever you think anesthetic gases do have a global warming potential quite whether it's you know whether it's in reality two and a half thousand times that of a kilo of carbon, uh, carbon dioxide is, you know, that might be, you know, in the real world it is up for debate, but whatever happens, we should probably use less of everything. So I, I, like I said, I don't have a viewpoint. And again, my, when I was talking through it on Saturday night, you know, we, we measure global warming, but actually sort of aromatic hydrocarbons, propofol doesn't get altered massively. And that just gets, you know, we're all, if we use propofol instead, does that turn into aromatic hydrocarbons, which then enter the water course and then we put out into the sea because they're not metabolized that much, uh, you know, propofol. So, you know, there's all sorts of unanswered questions. It's a massive, you know, so the, the, the world's a sort of an enormously complex system like the human body. And so what you do in a single experiment may in fact not bear out in the real world. So, so I don't have a view as the bottom line, but I do think we should probably try and use less of everything. Yeah, that sounds sensible to me. As are a lot of the other points in the editorial. One, one is about the so-called triple bottom line, which is about people. And I guess that could equate with in healthcare with outcomes, uh, planet, which is the environment and cost, which is obviously really important at the moment. Uh, given the the way things are, especially in the NHS in the UK, uh, which is finances. And one of the papers that this links in really well is the analysis from the Get It Right First Time team. And they outline how reducing unwarranted variation and, and using pathways and, and big data and all these 
things to improve patient experience and outcomes um, can also be cheaper and better for the environment as well. And I think that's one of the misconceptions outlined in the editorial is that all this is going to cost money or be an inconvenience for patients or make outcomes worse. But in actual fact, doing things right for the planet improves everything, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly the message from from the editorial is that yeah, I mean, certainly when even when I started out, we much of the equipment was reusable. I'm not, you know, I'm 45. I'm not that old. That laryngeal masks were, you know, re, uh, reused 20 or 50 times. You know, it, it was all reusable plastic. Whereas whereas now everything is everything is single use, even down to the sort of McGill forceps that are metal. They just get, you know, they're single use only, and lots of the sort of other stuff. So I, so I. It, it doesn't come as a surprise to me that if you use less of them or use or re- reuse stuff, then it uh, it costs less. So it, that's not a surprise to me at all. There's often a focus on technology and that something's going to come along and fix problems. And a, an example of that is uh, volatile capture. And we've got cracking of nitrous oxide as well. That's lots of papers have come along and suggested these things are going to solve all the problems. And one of the misconceptions that's outlined that I really struck a chord with me was about us being too fixated on simple and single solutions and technology to try and fix problems. Whereas, and you've already alluded to this, what we should be focusing on is real carbon emissions and reducing what we use and reusing where we can and recycling properly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, if we were going back to the point that I made earlier about sort of efficacy and effectiveness you know the efficacy is the sign that there's a signal and uh, effectiveness is whether it works in the real world and um so you sort of if we were talking about volatile capture anesthetic you know volatile capture you'd say the, the sort of baxter trade uh, information would say that it's 99 percent effective but when, but when you actually well, sort of 95 it's got an efficacy of 99 percent. but actually in terms of effectiveness in the real world where you get leakage you know, disconnection of tubes, there's quite a lot, you know, isofluorane or whatever leaks out or sevoflurane leaks out. It's actually, in terms of its effectiveness, it, it's way down because you just get leakage from the system everywhere. So so the, so the volatile capture is sort of, it has a high level of efficacy, but sort of a significantly lower level of effectiveness at doing that. And so that's the thing is, it's, it's the sort of team sky approach with 1% better on everything improves the system much more. Yeah. And there's a really nice article as well in the collection about volatile capture technology. And one of the things that struck me with that article in particular was about the small number of included studies and very much the scope for further research in that area as well and editorials like this can be very hard hitting and and uh, really try and make people think but at the same time there's some hope there at the end because the authors suggest that we can do things to make things better and it's not too late to start making changes no well i i actually didn't read this editorial as a um as a sort of doom and gloom thing i read it as a very positive thing in that there were there's there's still quite a lot of low-hanging fruit you can do you yeah. can you can pick and it's you know don't 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 just focus on one thing it's the whole system and we can all you know as always if we all if we all change a little bit you get a massive effect and that you know all of this there's there's some relatively simple changes that are cost effective for everybody and 
it improves sustainability across the whole system. So I, I, I took this as a very sort of positive editorial. I, I actually didn't read any doom and gloom into it at all. I thought it was, really, no, I thought, I thought it was a very positive article because I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, there are things we can do rather than we have to wait for some technology to come along and we're just doomed until we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's <coughs> the great things about the specialty is it's been such focus on tackling these issues and as the biggest hospital specialty and we've become leaders of in the field not just in practice but also in education as well and I know Cliff Shelton's done quite a lot of work on that introducing it into curricula not just postgraduate but undergraduate as well so I think things are definitely changing. No well that's what Matt my sort of uh, my friend that was head of sustainability said is you know they, they run this whole sustainability in this large um, the, a, a massive teaching trust in the west of England and the basically the only people they could ever get to engage or that would come to them were anaesthetists. So, you know, no, nobody else seemed to, they seemed to be unable to engage any other staff groups or medical groups into engaging in the sustainability agenda. Yeah, that links in quite nice with the paper from the surgeons from Birmingham. One of the themes that comes from that paper is, is that sustainability in, in surgery, and you talked about waste associated with anaesthesia, but waste associated with surgical procedures is very high. It's a very young science as well. And, and this group, probably one of the only groups that are focusing on carbon literacy in surgery, which was really nice to see. So that was a really great paper from Leder et al. But we'll move on to the second paper. This is from two very well-published and uh, decorated climate scientists, and they are chemists and they're based in Copenhagen. Their paper is about the associated background in terms of volatile anaesthetic agents and their environmental impacts. And it's really, I think it's a core paper for most anaesthetists to read because this is something that we're often talking a lot about, but it's really important to understand the science behind it. They provide some really important data from published research and bring that all together in a nice table. Um, but why in particular did you pick this paper and why did you find it interesting, Ben? Uh, well, e exactly for those reasons really, is that, uh, like I said, I knew nothing about any of this. Before, before you sort of sent me these papers last week, you know, I'd never heard of GWPs or global warming potentials. This paper basically puts, to, to me, it puts, it's, it's the explanation article for the rest of the issue. So yeah. it tells you where you get the numbers from, what they really mean. Um, it outlines the global warming potentials over the various time horizons for different uh, volatile anesthetics. Um, and, it, you know, it's sort of, tells you about the climate science and so although we'd sort of said in the previous article that you know sustainability we shouldn't just focus on um volatile anesthetics actually there has been a lot of focus on volatile anesthetics as the sort of bad boy of climate science in anesthesia this puts that all in context and so that you understand when you read the other so if you ever you know if you read some of the other articles and there's you know in various other journals there's been discussions over the last year or two this basically tells you what all those numbers mean where they come from so that you can understand them and that that's really what i liked about it yeah so it's a, a really accessible paper any anaesthetist can read and enjoy and i would encourage people to to do that and and like you say ben understand a bit of the background behind the issues in the current debate one of those particular and i don't want to dwell on this too much because we've already had a, a podcast on this and and there will be more coming on this particular issue is about the limitations of GWPs to compare agents and quantify their impact. And this has obviously been argued against by Slingo and Slingo. We've got Dame Slingo, who's a retired climate scientist. He used to work for the Met Office and the government. And Mary Slingo, who's, who's an anaesthetist, who's um, 
uh, Dame Slinger's daughter. This paper has been relatively well received on social media and there will be various correspondences that are in the process at the moment uh, coming through. So this conversation is very much not over. But should the anaesthetic community respond to some of these controversies? Um, so I think from... Because you know some of the some of the numbers are quite. You sort of think, God, that you know it's sort of unbelievable. If you look at sort of Desrain over a hundred years, I mean, this this was sort of all news to me in the last week or two. That um, you know it has two and a half thousand times the um, global warming effect of a kilo of carbon dioxide. So you know it's the equivalent one kilo of Desrain is the equivalent of two and a half thousand kilos of carbon dioxide in terms of global warming. Um, I think what the, you know, from looking around, reading and talking to, to people, the, the general perception is that, yes, you know, if you, you've got to take these terms in sort of ballpark figures, so it might not be two and a half thousand times that, but it'll still be a lot more than you know, carbon dioxide. So you look at all these numbers and well, some of them are quite big numbers, you know, isofluorane sort of over a hundred years has the equivalent global warming potential sort of 500 times that of carbon dioxide. And whilst, you know, this again goes to the sort of thing I was saying that whilst you, you these numbers are sort of generated in a lab effectively, they, so, so they're very accurate. Um, in the real world, they might not be as accurate, but they still, the number, the, the differences are so big that they certainly have a global warming potential. And when you put them in context, so as, uh, so again, Matt, who's the sort of head of sustainability was saying, actually, when you, as our whole societal carbon footprint comes down, as we switch from coal fired power stations to renewables like wind, actually the impact of these volatile anesthetics will get even more. So at the moment, they're about, you know, volatile anaesthetics. So if you take what they call scope one, which is sort of the directly emitted carbon dioxide, global warming uh, chemicals into the atmosphere, anaesthetic gases, uh, if you just look at the numbers, are about sort of 10% uh, of those scope ones. So that includes stuff like, um, you know, heating the hospital, burning energy to, to heat the hospital. And so overall, that sort of drops in the bigger scheme. But as as the energy, as we move away from, you know, heating the hospital using natural gas, coal, et cetera, et cetera, the, the impact of those anaesthetic gases. So whilst it's 10% at the moment, actually in about, it'll go to even more, it could be 20, 30% of the carbon impact as our societal footprint changes. So we should certainly be making, making some effort to look at them. And the numbers are so big that even if they're, you know, inaccurate, they're the sort of, the, the fact the factor size how much bigger they are means that they are bigger so they will have an effect and it, it is more than carbon dioxide yeah and we've had a letter recently outlining quite similar arguments actually we've got a response from slingo and slingo so i really look forward to getting those published and and seeing the debate continue over on social media and elsewhere as well but it's uh, it really is a fascinating topic that's been reopened for uh, that I'm sure will be discussed for many years in, in the anaesthetic community, notwithstanding the fact that there are other things also that we should be concentrating on. We are going to look now at the last paper, and I know that I keep suggesting that we're going to move elsewhere in, in, in terms of not looking at TIVA and Volatile, but that is exactly what this last paper has done. And this is the only original article, actually, in the uh, 
in the issue. So we've not just got editorials and reviews, we've got this paper as well, which was a um, quite an impressive study comparing a TIVA strategy versus mixed volatile stroke TIVA strategies in, in various hospitals in Europe, including nearly 50,000 patients. So why did you choose this paper and did you, were you able to pick out any interesting methods that the authors had used? So I picked this paper basically because it, it was the only science-like non-review <laughs> article. And therefore I thought, I, you know, I, I, I was interested partly because it was sort of the only, yeah, it was the only sort of non-review article. And partly because the numbers were just so so enormous. So it was basically the, the way the way the way that they did it is they had two French hospitals. One had one had sort of had a um a sustainability. They were they were run by the same what 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 here would be the same NHS trust, but the same sort of provider in France. And one of them had gone over to a sort of sustainability agenda and sort of banned the use of volatiles, and the other one had a mixed strategy. Um, and, you know, one of the, the, the sort of sustainable one used very low flows, et cetera, et cetera, anyway. And the the non-sustainable one used higher flow anesthesia and, you know, for their volatiles and stuff. And so they, they by using pharmacy records and uh, purchasing and there are some published um, life cycle, car, you know, sort of carbon footprints of the life cycle of the drug. They calculated what the difference in sort of carbon dioxide emissions were between the two strategies and the TIVA one came out sort of 20 times less than the mixed volatile slash uh, TIVA strategy. Now there were some caveats in that in that the, the, the sort of mixed strategy hospital, they weren't very sustainable anyway. So they were sort of, uh, like I said, they were running high flows. They, they, weren't, they weren't running efficiently anyway, but they, they, the, the authors estimated that you could probably reduce some of that sort of 20%, it was sort of 20 times greater in terms of carbon footprint. You could probably reduce that quite a bit just by being efficient. But whichever way you look at it, um, that had a greater carbon dioxide, a sort of greater carbon footprint than the TIVA strategy. Um, and again, I, I was sort of talking through this on Saturday evening going, well, you know, is, is this, this just sounds unbelievable. Um, and again, the answer is that actually it's so big that it's likely to be true. You know, the sort of mixed strategy is likely to have a higher carbon footprint, even if you because the, the sort of margins of error, um, even if you take the sort of best case scenario all the way down the sort of mixed strategy, it was still likely to be much, much bigger in terms of carbon footprint than the TIVA strategy. But the, again, that's that's just taking the carbon footprint. What it's not doing is looking at that carbon footprint in a bigger system and the sort of downsides of maybe people weeing out a load of you know, aromatic hydrocarbons into the environment, into the watercourse, or other stuff. So again, it's it's very sort of single outcome focused, but we don't know what that means in in a bigger system. But it, it was a, it was an interesting way about going about it. And th those life cycles again, because I sort of went and there's it, the life cycles are referenced um, in sort of how they calculated them. And so it does include things like transport of glass vials and the sort of heavier weight. So it, it should be vague it should be vaguely correct in terms of the numbers yeah and, and just i guess to point out for readers is that this study was conducted well before the um, published review from slingo and slingo i know in in that article there were calls to stop using car journeys and things and and 
to compare carbon footprints and also to not use global warming potentials for volatile anesthetic gases. But I guess the other side to that is that, you know, this really isn't settled yet. And the science is very still much up for debate, as I'm sure it will be. To finish off, what direction do you think research in healthcare sustainability and anesthesia needs to take now? And what sort of papers can you expect to see in the journal over the next couple of years? We're looking at, you know, we've looked at single outcomes, which is carbon footprint and global warming. What I you know, I, I suspect some of that effect will disappear if you, you know, if you actually look at it in terms of burning the waste, recycling, et cetera, et cetera, you know, actually very little, although we think lots of things can be recycled, they degrade, you know, even glass gets degraded and you, you actually can't use it as many times as you want because people want nice, clear, see-through glass. So it probably, you know, by the time you've used it a couple of times, that that's it. So it's not as infinitely recyclable as we all think. Um, so I think what I'd like to see in the journal is looking at things on a greater perspective. So, you know, not just looking at carbon footprints, not just because that sort of belies the fact that the Earth's a complex system like the human body. And so whilst we can measure single things in a test tube, or a lab, they may not um, they may not translate into a massive effect in the real world, and so so that's really what I'd I'd like to see is whether these things can actually whether these sort of single outcome studies, when they exist in the real world, does does that translate to an effect? Yeah, that's um, the key take home for me as well. Is we've got to close. Although these things are very interesting to debate, and a lot of the topics that have been discussed in the issue are. Um, anesthetists like to talk about those things we need to think about what's important to patients and, and healthcare systems now and, and reducing the amount of carbon required to to provide that whilst at the same time improving patient outcomes and, and also reducing cost as well so we've got to do everything in the triple bottom line there and I'm sure it's possible and there's lots of scope for people to do some really good work in this area so thank you very much Ben we've covered three papers lots of cpd for everyone this month the great news about the issue is the fact that all the papers are free to read forever so please do download them save them print them out talk about them at work use them for journal club articles but also importantly send us your correspondence as well and we will try and get responses from the authors and we will try and publish your papers uh thank you very much ben enjoy the rest of the day thanks very much mike and we will uh, see you next time thank you the anesthesia podcast